Welcome all to episode 8 of the NBA podcast that has yet to be named. We are Recon Sports. My name is Mike Klein. I am your host alongside Jake Worm. Jake, what's happening? What's going on, dude? NBA Finals, we're here. Uh, we're two games in. Um, I actually forgot how much drama comes with a, a final series, man. The, the casuals are now coming out of the woodworks. <laughs> Thank you, Draymond, for about 50% of this drama. <laughs> like Paul Revere, just, the casuals are coming. <laughs> now, the, the diehards are also uh, making their points. They're, they're reacting in a lot of different ways as well. Um, a lot of shit's going on. Um, there's always going to be major topics of discussion in, in any series, but especially a championship series. Right. Um, officiating has been a big one already. That's always going to be a topic of discussion. Uh, but then there's more stuff too with like player, uh, what, you know, what, what players are saying and coaches are saying, you know, in, in the press conference dialogue. Social media is also a, a big way for players to sort of say what's on their mind and fans to react. Uh, but then also player podcasts are now a thing. Uh, Draymond, Iggy's got Iggy's got one. The Warriors are just seems like giving away their game plan. The Golden State Podcasters is a name I heard. Yeah, it's just it's just another way for for. Fans like us to just see more content and react to it. There's so much to digest now. And honestly, I, I find it interesting like how much we get, especially in the NBA. And like you said with Draymond and Iggy's podcast, it's very different from other sports, I feel like. I could be wrong there, but I feel like with the NBA, that's kind of a special thing there where the players are so open about what seems like everything. Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like that. It's been like that forever. You always see the NBA player's face. Mm-hmm. You know, you're up close and personal. It's an indoor game. There's no helmets. That's always been a thing. Um, but, yeah, I, I think any championship series gets gets heightened. Uh, you come NFL, MLB, right. you, you're going to see these players. But yeah, especially NBA, and now, like I said, Draymond's out here on his own podcast. Immediately after the game. Right, it's nuts. And, I mean, look at look at ESPN, too. They got C.J. McCollum. Yeah, I mean, after he loses a playoff series, he's, he's out on ESPN talking his thing. Going you know? at Stephen A., him and J.J. Yeah, bro, J.J.'s doing it, and uh, Pat Bev, geez, why oh, is, yeah. I'm seeing too much of Pat Bev, bro. <laughs> You're not a bad bad fan, huh? Don't want him in the media? I don't want him talking on my TV screen. That's really what it is. <laughs> but no, everyone's got a voice now, especially in the NBA, for sure. Yeah, there is. And uh, to kind of get into the pod here, um, I'm just going to give you a quick preview of what we're going to talk about today. We're going to get into the NBA Conference Finals, kind of a recap review type deal here. It's going to be a little bit shorter than our usual because there is just so much to talk about in the finals, especially this year. And once we do get into the finals, you know, there, there's 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 a lot to talk about, about injuries, about, like you said, refereeing, the, the contrast between game one and game two, and then uh, we'll close out the pod. So let us get into the conference finals here. I'm going to start off. Out west with the Warriors Mavericks, Golden State in five. They're advancing to their sixth finals in eight years, which is absolutely incredible. Jesus. Yeah. And uh, people thought that this dynasty was going to die after KD left. And we see where we are now. Yeah, man. Full fledged 
dynasty up there with the likes of Gold Star, San Antonio Spurs, mm-hmm. the Bulls of the 90s. Mm-hmm. I'd even say Lakers of the 80s and Celtics. Why not? I mean, we're pushing that. Uh, even with the loss of KD, it's proving to be, you know, it doesn't really matter. They're going to re-up uh, with their core of Clay, Steph, and, and Draymond. And, um, yeah, full-fledged dynasty, and they're here. Just a spectacular organization, you know, in terms of we got our guys, we developed them, we had some luck, but you need some luck along the way. And we see how much of their, you know, they're reaping the benefits of all their hard work. And there's even now reports of rival GMs getting frustrated with the salary cap and how the Warriors are able to keep their core together. And it's like, to me, can you really, is that something to be mad about? I feel like it's not necessarily like a rational thing to be mad about. Maybe it is, but. No, they're good. There's always got to be some sort of salary cap manipulation, you know, how you want to build your team. I think even people getting mad at their their ability to pull Wiggins, Mm -hmm. uh, I think they were smart. They got Wiggins when he was down in the dumps, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, obviously he's a first overall pick, so that he's going to be paid, you know, right? Uh, a little bit more than usual. But guess what? His 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 lottery went down, and you could get him for an affordable Golden State Warrior price. So sorry. Yeah, and it's like there, there's the market, you know, argument that you can make where it's their market and their ownership make it so that it's easier for them. Well, I feel like that's not something you can blame them about if you're going to own a team you got to be ready to spend to win a championship if that's your goal that's true and they also do well in draft i mean they, they draft that too they drafted uh jordan Poole, who's becoming a 18 20 point score for them off the bench i mean look look at the lower part of their bench they've got james wiseman they finessed the league out of that one year <laughs> where they could get a, a top pick uh to win that draft for real and, and Kuminga is a, is a low, barely in minutes, low guy on the depth chart. So, yeah, man, they just strategically played the draft well, built built correctly, built around their core, um, and they're here again. They're here again. And I thought, I personally thought Luka would knock them off. That was the dumbest thing I think I've said since starting this podcast. But, no, they're, they're here. Yeah, the Warriors, they're back. And that's something that we all have to deal with. And... Actually, I think I, I think the Moody, was Moody and Kaminga were in the same draft, not the Wiseman one. I'm pretty sure anyway. But that I think that's also an interesting point about the finals this year, compared to some other years. Is these are homegrown teams. That's right. <clears throat> you look at both teams and you see Draymond Green, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Kevon Looney, Jordan Poole, Moses Moody, Kaminga. Wiseman, like all a lot of these guys were drafted by the team and developed through their organization, given the opportunity, and look look how much that that is uh, playing into this finals now and uh, over the course of the whole season. Right, even Boston too. I mean, you look at their roster, Tatum, uh, Brown. They got Horford back, but he's been on the team for it seems mm-hmm. for, for years. Marcus Smart, everyone doubted him, starting point guard now. Fighting fans at Oklahoma State. Uh, that's right. I mean, I th- they did get a, a good midseason trade in Derek White. Mm-hmm. Um, but more guys that they drafted. Pritchard. Uh, Will Williams is there as well. Uh, the end of their bench isn't as stacked as the Warriors. They're dealing with more, 
what look like old school retro Celtics players. And Are we hating on Aaron Naismith? <laughs> I know I'm hating on Sam Hauser. <laughs> Oh, Luke Cornett is what I'm hating on, really. <laughs> uh, but no, these are, yeah, they homegrown teams they built through the draft and, and just retained players until they were good enough to get to this point. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, and that is, that is an interesting point about this finals that I feel like people talk about every year when you had the Cavs going. And to some, dis, you know, some degree, but a lesser degree, of the Miami Heat when they went to the finals. Oh, that's built, bro. That's bronze doing. They're building that shit. That's, Just like the Lakers. Yeah. You know, they, they built their teams in... Or you know, bought, I should say. Bought is the word. Right. And fans were, you know... Some fans, I should say. A certain percentage of fans were upset about that. You know, oh, they bought their team. They bought their ring. That's just one way of doing it. Another way of doing it, and you look at... It can still be done in this year. You get homegrown. It's a little more gratifying when you see a champion... You know, just like the Milwaukee Bucks last year, hold up that trophy knowing, guess what, small market team we built off of uh, player development and just having guys become, reach their star potential, you know. And not only that, but like the way they did that too. Like, it, you know, Giannis was not a top five pick. And so I feel like that, you know, that adds a little bit to it for certain teams. Mm-hmm. But uh, to keep moving on here, Steph Curry won the first ever West Finals Magic Johnson Award. That's pretty cool. Uh, game six, Clay arrived a game early. And uh, looking on the Mavericks side, Luka Doncic was Luka. Yep. Uh, Brunson even played spectacular and very well may have bought him a very, very lucrative contract this summer. That's true. <laughs> yeah, no, the Mavericks are happy. Um, they're able to get a game. They're able to get to the conference finals. So I, it, early too, what feels like you know. Would you say this was an overachieved season for them? I do. Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, this is Luca's first year winning a series. So, um, I mean, they will have to pay Brunson if they want to retain him, which I think they will. Um, he's still small, so maybe a team might not want to risk you know paying him too much of a bag. Unless uh, you're the Knicks, maybe? and they'll and they'll have, well. I think the Knicks may be keeping their eye on Donovan Mitchell, but that's for another <laughs> conversation. Um, but no, Brunson, the Mavs will be able to match any sort of offer that Brunson gets. So what? I expect to retain. I expect them to retain Brunson to just back up, back up Luca, um, and just continue to build on on what will be a long Hall of Fame career for Luca. And hopefully, one of these days, you'll you'll reach a Finals like the Warriors. On that note, actually, <clears throat> because of the way they meant that contract, uh, the way they built it, he is unrestricted. Oh, okay. So that could throw some complications in there. But we'll you see. imagine that they're going to re-sign him. Uh, he was a very important piece. Yeah. And you need more creators than Luca, and he was the secondary creator there. Yep, unless some team comes out of left field. With a bag, saying, all right, we're going to need you to be a a major ball handler for us. Yeah, I could see it happening, but um, either way, you got to keep building around Luka for years to come, so they're not too worried. Yeah, and now going out east, we had a seven-game series. We had Celtics winning in seven over the Miami Heat. Um, That series, to me, was still very interesting. Uh, There was a lot of blowouts and there was a lot of like 
this game happened, and then it flipped over on the next game, then it flipped the next game. And so that kind of upset some people, but there was still a lot going on in this series. But I think the main point that people were hitting on and the big topic of discussion, the Jimmy Butler shot. Does Should he have shot that? Should he have drove? Yes, he should have shot that. I'm ending that argument right now. Thank you. Come on, you're Jimmy Butler. You literally had to put the team on your back a whole series. You have one shot to win it all. Maybe you didn't set your feet enough. <laughs> Maybe you jumped a little too far uh, instead of vertical. Mm-hmm. But that is a shot you got to take. I mean, everyone, you live for shots like that. I trust a guy like Jimmy Butler to at least give you a chance to win the game. That's a shot you got to take. Um, other than that, this series sucked, if you <laughs> ask me. I hated watching the games. It was a brutal watch at all times. It was a blowout, like you said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the, the, the Celtics got it done um, just because simply, I guess, Lowry didn't make his, his weight cut, I guess. <laughs> he didn't make the body fat percentage. Pat you could, Riley you, is a savage. You could possibly relate it to that. Um, Tyler Hero is a, a big thing I want to touch on. Yeah. Uh, the loss of him is, is major, and mm-hmm. he, he, he has to be a starter. He, he thinks he's proven himself to be a starter next year, which I agree with. Um, but, yeah, he, he's showing that, you know, how much of, how much value he has. Without him, they, they really couldn't create much offense in the half court especially. Um but the Heat will always re-up. You know, they have young guys, and they have their and, – and Bam. Uh, they have Jimmy to be their star guy who's proven to, to get it done in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They'll be back next year, and, I mean, there's hints at Embiid coming. Not going to happen. No way Philly gives that up. But they, they, I think they'll bring in another guy next year, and I think they'll be in a very similar spot. So. Yeah. In that, uh, that little presser that Riley did, he did mention that they're looking to improve, obviously. <clears throat> but, you know, there's there's some things there to kind of, like, keep watch for. Um, do they keep Hero, most likely? Do they look to get a Donovan Mitchell? Do they look somewhere else to grab someone? Yeah. There's a – it's going to be interesting to keep tabs on that. I have a pretty ugly stat here from the series. The Miami Heat, for the seven-game series, averaged 99.7 points. To the Celtics, 105. Um, you know, when you have two defenses of this level, you expect something like that. But, you know, one, props to Boston for keeping Miami under 100. That's pretty remarkable in a conference finals. And while we have hit on, at least on this pod, the Miami Heat half-court struggles and just some of the offensive struggles in general, which there's... Many different reasons for that, mm-hmm. but uh... no, the the Heat, they're always going to be around. They're always going to yeah. stick around. Yeah. They're yeah. like the Steelers of the NFL. They're like you a had gr- to find a way to mention. I have to, you know, they're like a girl you just can't shake off. You know what I'm saying? Maybe she's too cool every time you go out together. She's too fun, you know. But maybe she doesn't. She's got a little family history. I don't. <laughs> she isn't. Doesn't find a way to become the actual girlfriend, but. <laughs> The Heat will always stick around, will always be a force um, year in and year out. Yeah, just, yeah. Another well run organization that knows how to build a team. And when they have a down year, you can bet your sweet ass they're going to be back in a year or two. That's right. That's right. Uh, other than that, I believe that's my thoughts for the series. Uh, 
lot, 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 to, lot to look forward to for the Heat. They're, they're going to be an interesting team. Is it time to get to the finals? Already? Let's freaking go, buddy. All right. So, as of the recording of this podcast, games one and two have been completed. It is 1-1 currently. They were 1-1 one one in the regular season. <clears throat> now, there wasn't, to me at least, a whole lot to, you know, to take from those regular season games. Uh, in the Warriors' loss, Steph only played, I think, about 14 minutes. Clay was extremely off, and... Uh, he wasn't in the first game, I believe, but, you know, the teams look very different from the regular season, so it was like, you almost don't know what you're getting in this series, and now we see games one and two done, two completely different games, almost. Yeah, even after the two games of the of, that we've seen so far in the finals, I mean, you, you really don't know what you're going to get out of a game three. And with that said, let's just kind of bounce around from games one and two and kind of just think about and talk about what happened there. Um, so game one, Jason Tatum's off, but I believe sets a NBA, NBA Finals debut record of 13 assists, which was absolutely huge for that team and a huge reason why they did win that game. Um, I, lo- I love watching Tatum play make. I think he's such a hooper. Um, he's he's just as good at passing if he just sets his mind to it. Um, usually, you know, Tatum, your best shot is a Jason Tatum shot, you mm-hmm. know, so they, they rely on his shot making. But when he is able to draw defenses in and the game plan is to stop him, that guy can play make. He's that good of a hooper. He is. And what, for me, my concerns for him are there's times where – and he, he, he can be the biggest victim of this, of the team, but of the ball sticking. And yeah. when, when we look at, which we hit on this on our Boston Celtics pod, which you go back and listen to. We, um, we predicted this, man. We knew how good this team was back yeah, then. We, we knew the Celtics, you know, when they made that turn on the new year, they looked like a completely different team. And in game one, you saw that. Come game two, things are looking a little bit different. The ball movement wasn't quite the same. And when that happens, it becomes a lot of jab, step, jab, step, side, step, three. That's right. Yeah. I mean, game one, the, like you said, the playmaking of Tatum was huge. But also just the the role players stepping up in the scoring column. Absolutely. Horford, I think, was the MVP of the game. Six of eight from three from Horford. Five of eight for White. Four of seven from Smart. Yep. I mean, when you shoot 51% from three as a team, that's extremely hard to beat. I know, yeah, and that's what you want to see. When when you're able to free up the ball and and you find Horford after switches and he gets wide-open shots after Tatum driving in and kicking and then you keep swinging, that's what happens. And I trust every single player on this Boston team, usually on the court, besides Mm -hmm. maybe uh, Rob Williams, you know, just catches lobs and whatnot. Uh, but I trust most guys on that court to be able to score the ball. I trust them to be able to make the right pass and put the ball on the floor. I, I generally do trust all these guys. Um, so when that ball is sticking, it just doesn't play in their favor. And they are at their best with making those quick decisions with that Suns-like mindset of, you know, not quite to the limit of the decisions in .5 seconds or less, but they 
You know, you get the ball and you move with purpose. You get it, you pump fake, and then you drive. That's right. And then you kick. And they just kept doing that and moving. And then in game two, especially to me, at least in that third quarter, you didn't exactly see that. And the third quarter looked the way it did. I believe it was 35-14 to 14 in that game two third quarter in favor mm-hmm. of the Warriors. And just to throw this out there, the Jordan Poole run in like the last minute and a half, to me, it feels like that was like a statement. Because, you know, up until that point, Poole maybe wasn't, he wasn't playing up to his standards. And you really saw him get into his confidence there. Yeah. Where he's, you know, just putting the moves on people and then pulling up from three. And then that final shot to beat the buzzer in the third quarter where it was damn near half court. I think they had it recorded at 39 feet. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was a little further than that. That shit was nasty, bro. I I couldn't agree more. I think Jordan Poole hasn't really played up to his standard. Mm-hmm. At least recently, I think in the early rounds, he was doing just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I know it was a half court <coughs> shot, but I, I agree. I think this is going to give him that Jordan Poole confidence and swagger that he's played with. Uh, and that he knows he possesses. Um, you know, he's he's after you hit that, he looks at Steph Curry like, yeah, that's what's up. I am that guy. I am that guy. I am a splash nephew too. <laughs> no, he's like, I'm I'm in the finals as well. You know, I I'm here. I worked my ass off to get here. I can hit shots. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I do expect to see higher production out of pool now. You know, I think he's got that edge to him now. Like, yeah, once I see one go down, that's it. I can play now. I guess to almost play devil's advocate how much of that is an absolute positive for the warriors because on the other end if pool does too much or you know he takes too many shots or maybe not in the exact flow of the offense how does that affect that i know yeah that could be a problem but i do think he does still have that humility like i'm playing alongside steph curry who's playing at a finals mvp level I think he sort of will see his 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 role expand in terms of like all right if Clay's not hitting I will need to step up mm-hmm. more, um, which we'll get into you know more conversations about Clay, um, but I think he does have that cognizant ability to just know when he's not on or what he needs to do if he needs to play make he will if mm-hmm. I need to hit shots I will, um, but all I really want to see out of him is just the confidence that he owned that you know that he possesses to flourish in the finals. Yeah, and if, you know, if people like Green, while in Game 2 he had a little bit better, but in Game 1, you know, he's looking at 2 of 12 for Draymond Green, you're going to need Poole if Draymond's off like that, if Wiggins isn't playing like he did in Game 1, if Klay Thompson continues to play the way he is. And they did get a good amount of, you know, good play out of Otto Porter in that game one as well, even yeah. though they did lose. But getting production out of him is good. You need more than just Steph Curry. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this in past series about um, this team specifically having individual games out of guys. Mm-hmm. You know, you got your typical game six clay. I think we will see a Clay Thompson game. You just know, one? I think that's all you can expect out of Clay right now. I think he's yeah. I think you can't rely on Clay Thompson to be Clay Thompson, but you can rely rely on Clay Thompson to at least step it up for at least one game. 
you know, don't average 27% from the field um, on, on a series, you know. Mm-hmm. Get those numbers up to about 35, 37. Um, but still be Clay Thompson and being that threat. So don't, you know, you're going to still tell him to keep shooting, right? Yeah, of course. But like I said, I, you're going you're gonna to need individual games out of individual players, such as Andrew Wiggins, you know, his ability to uh, create a shot when it's not there. Um, Jordan Poole to step up. I think you want him to be a little bit more consistent now. Um, but you're going to need guys to have individual games alongside Steph's MVP, right. finals MVP level game, right. you know. And as long as Boston continues to throw drop at Steph Curry, he's going to continue to torch him. Um, there was a play specifically that kind of stood out to me, and I think it was Tice. I think Tice was in, and he was in drop. I know it was pull. It was pull. They had pull in, and they ran a pick and roll to the right shoulder, and Tice is just kind of chilling, like not ready to really contest the shot, and they just shot it right over. And you really saw that in, I think it was 21 points in the first quarter of game one where they were playing drop against Steph, and he's just cooking you. You can't play back on him, which forces you to play up, which then potentially gives lanes for Curry. Can he get by you? Now, that kind of matchup is going to be fun to keep tabs on because do they start throwing just straight to it, Curry? Do you want him hitting people off that and then they get into that Warriors freestyle offense? It's tough. It's def- It's always a tough challenge to guard Steph Curry up top uh, yeah. on a pick-and-roll situation, that's for sure. Um, but I don't know. I think Boston understands that this is a guy – who's going to need to be terrific in, in order to beat them. You know, very similar to Jimmy Butler, maybe not to the extent of Butler needing to drop 47, put the team on his back. Um, but this is, they need Steph Curry to have that consistent finals MVP play throughout a series if they want to win, and I think Boston understands that. Um, how you attack it, I think you approach it differently each game. I think you can't stay still in, in one defensive set on Curry, maybe sometimes you do sink, but it can't be every time. No, you can't let him. You can't let Steph Curry know he's going to have a shot when Draymond sets three illegal screens at top. You know. Now, since you mentioned that, we might as well get to that. Um, Draymond Green's a hell of a football player, <laughs> and there was a play especially where he goes to set. I guess what's a screen. Um, I guess the argument against it was he said, "I guess a screen." Um. <laughs> but he, he's, like, walking into people the entire time, but, like, arms pretty much fully extended, moving guys out of the way, like, you know, being an offensive lineman, three straight guys in a row, and then, you know, it's an uncontested Steph Curry three. And that kind of brings us back to the refereeing point we brought up in the beginning. So we get the chief NBA official talking on the broadcast saying, that the referees, and this was a great look kind of into the ref's mind and, like, the way they see the game, in which you'll be able to speak to this a little bit better than I can, being a lower-level ref like you are. Um, So they said that when they know somebody has a technical foul, that they are aware of that. And so for the rest of the game, they don't want to throw someone out. Exactly. And so that brings us to a situation where it's 
well then now where does the line go and is it a straight line because obviously in game two it wasn't draymond got a very big leash yeah as as most controversial things are it was overreacted what he said um I think you said exactly what you said, which was these officials are aware of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Don't you want that? Don't you want an official to be cognizant of everything that's going on, including, you know, if a player does have a technical foul? And you gotta you got to realize this. This is still an entertainment sport. This is a professional basketball league, the NBA. Mm -hmm. You don't, in, in the highest stakes situation, this is the finals. Yeah. With a guy who has a proven record of, of you know, being this way, mm -hmm. you have to be cognizant of uh, of a guy with a technical foul if you call one early, which was warranted. You know what I'm saying? If it's there, you call it. That being said, you are hyper aware of the game to where you don't want to give a team an advantage over some bullshit, honestly. If it's if it's teetering on the edge of a, of a technical, maybe you sort of give him that ability. I'm sorry, like... I know that there needs to be a fine line usually, mm -hmm. uh, but if it's teetering on the edge of whether it is you know a technical or not, I think you sort of have to just at least the NBA officials will give them that advantage. Right, which then kind of gets into the discussion of you know how fair is that to the opposite team, and I guess the question that becomes: Should they try to take advantage of that? Yes, would, would I think so. Would that work in their situation? Because they have Smart, who is, you know, Draymond-esque in the way of his mentality. That's right. And the physicality of the way he plays. You know, defensive player of the year. And he's a very physical player. Yes, he may flop, but everybody does pretty much in the NBA. But, uh, you know, that's there's there's constant contact in almost everything that they do. I think this rule or this concept that we just discussed applies to more than just technical fouls for Draymond Green. I think in a situation, in, in, in a final series, especially at the end of a game or in a dire situation, even a foul call needs to be monitored. You know, you need to be aware of who, who, who has this amount of fouls, who is in the bonus or close to the bonus. Um, what the score is, you know, is this, is how, everything. They're so hyper aware of the situation. Mm -hmm. You got to make sure if you're going to blow that whistle, you need to blow that whistle. You know, you're going to let guys play until you can't. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing. You're going to let Draymond be Draymond until Draymond goes too far. And I also find part of this interesting because <laughs> fans love, maybe they're fans, maybe they're not, but People love to say that the NBA is soft. They love to make fun of the way the game's officiated. They love to make fun of how friendly the players are nowadays. And then we get situations like this. And then you get, you know, Draymond telling Grant Williams, you know, you, you, you want to be me. You're not me. <laughs> Which was, by the way, we're getting classic all-time moments from this series. He's a bozo. <clears throat> You're getting, like, the Marcus Smart uh, mic'd up clip from game one where he's talking about, we can't play the pick and roll like we did in Miami. And it's just, like, things like that, and, you know, it's kind of interesting to keep keep track of and you hear and you know. But uh, to move on from that. Um, well, well, real quick, I, I want to say, yeah, no, they, they love that. They love getting up close and personal. Guess what? Teams are different. Players are different. 
you approach teams and series different ways, and the NBA loves having players have their own identity, have their own Mm -hmm. brand, and they Mm -hmm. build off of that. Mm -hmm. So when Draymond's acting this way and and the Twitter world is losing their minds and social media, uh, it plays into their hands. This is exactly what you want to see out of a league uh, with superstars. So it's getting a lot, a lot of eyes on the league. That's for sure. You know, it's 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 a controversial topic. But to kind of move on to another aspect of the series, so I kind of want to talk Jalen Brown for a little bit because this last game. Yeah, you know, let's talk about basketball, right? Yeah, let's talk about hoops for for a minute. Well, actually, for game one, Jalen Brown, I I thought he played. You know, very well. You know, they needed a shot maker since Tatum was off. And Horford was there for him. Brown was there for him. Even Smart and White were there for him. And then we get to the next game. And it's like, Brown, he had that run in the first quarter where he's hitting, you know, shot after shot. And then just kind of went silent. Mm -hmm. And Boston is going to need Brown in this series. Absolutely. Yeah, Boston, yeah, I guess you could also say the Warriors as well. They're both teams that sort of ride waves. You know, when, when, when you get hot, you get hot. And I think a lot of the time, Jalen Brown, it seems like, leads the charge for a lot of these hot streaks. I think when, especially around the middle part of a game, uh, second quarter, um, they tend to get hot after Jalen Brown gets hot, you know, because mm-hmm. Tatum sort of spaces it out throughout the game. But when Jalen Brown goes on a run, it seems like that team really starts churning. Um, and the more runs you get out of Jalen Brown, I think the better off they have to have more of these runs. Well, in that game one, that fourth quarter, like, I, I can't even remember how long it was, but it felt like for, like, at least half the quarter, everything was ran through Brown. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he's just making good decision after good decision after made shot after made shot. You yeah. know, just being the player that Boston needs him to be because, to me, Jason Tatum's shot diet kind of calls for games like that game one you know he, he does take a lot of tough shots a lot of sidesteps fallaways fadeaways and you know when when the the warriors are playing him very physical in the paint and you know very physical in general but especially in the paint because it seems like they understand this physicality this trash talk this everything you know the pressure everything about the moment I don't want to say it's, you know, changing the way the Celtics are playing, but it's certainly affecting them, and especially in that game, too. And I, I I like to point out, just like everybody else has, that first play of game two, Draymond ties up Al Horford, and immediately, you know, you, you see the defensive intensity that they came out with, and it, it helped them throughout the game. Yeah. No, it seems like, is it just me, or at the start of every boston series they do sort of get smacked in the mouth with reality like okay this is what the series is going to be but then it always like i'm talking all three series that we've seen so far uh oh they sort of dominated the nets but uh milwaukee they sort of got slapped in the face okay this is going to be physical this is going to be a little more physical than the nets mm-hmm. uh even the heat series like okay shoot this is a very physical team too and now the golden state warriors have Draymond green they bring him to the table and he's going to be physical as well but guess what Boston has something within their organization, something within that locker room. Maybe it's their coach, their new coach, who's able to call players out. Maybe say, you know, you're acting like a bitch. 
Or is it Marcus Smart getting in the huddle telling you, okay, we need to be more physical? It mm-hmm. seems like they always <clears throat> rise to the occasion after, you know, getting that initial punch to, to the gut from the other team. Yeah, they, 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 they are a unit off the court, and you can tell because they always come back. They, they make their adjustments, and they come back. And, the, you know, they can play very physical. You know, they, they were very physical with Giannis, very, very physical with KD. And so I wonder if they can find ways to utilize that kind of philosophy with Steph Curry to bother him. Mm-hmm. Kind of like what the Cavs did in those four years they went against the Warriors. Off ball, they, they, they were bumping Steph Curry at every point. Every time he went off the screen, they had the big, you know, hey, just give him a little shoulder. Give him, give him a little hip. Just make sure you make contact. Hedge him a little we bit. We need to wear down Curry because right. he is that good. Yeah. I mean, I may be jumping ahead a little bit, but looking at Boston's routes to winning the mm-hmm. rest of this series, um, I have three big things. One is they have to be the better defensive team, and that comes with matching the physicality. Um, Draymond's going to be Draymond, and you know how physical he's going to be trying to tie up every loose ball he can find. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to match that as well as bring going to uh, – Going back to Jalen Brown, what you were saying, I need Jalen Brown to be the third best player in this series. Period. You know who the top two guys are for each team. Right. Um, But Jalen Brown, in order for Boston to win, he's got to be that third guy. And that's leading the charges for for runs that they have, um, bringing that physicality defensively and length that he has. He's got to be that third guy. Yeah. And with that said, you know, when you get Brown going, when you get Tatum going, especially if you can get both going, that only opens up everybody else. And when you can have Marcus Smart playing as the point guard and opening things up, you know, with the little pick and roll to the pocket pass or to the swing, then that guy's pumping and driving. And that's where you can get the Grant Williams and the Pritchards going, hopefully, because those guys are playing 15 to you know 20 plus minutes a game so they are. you need them to not just be good defenders yeah they can't just be stand-ins they're playing way too much like you said and that's sort of my my final route to winning for boston is is they got to move that damn ball ball movement is huge for this boston team yeah and if in if you have your jalen brown your your jason tatums of the world cooking in all aspects of the game and, and bringing that physicality and pushing the envelope with their with with their offense, you're gonna get those driving kicks. You're gonna be able to move that ball and find a Grant Williams in the corner. Mm-hmm. You're gonna be able to find a Pritchard to be able to get a pump fake right right away, get the guy up, and then create more offense from there. Um, that's how the Boston Celtics work. That's how they have got to this point, and they need to do that against a really good, really <laughs> physical Golden State team. Yeah, and you know, giving a quick look at the box score of Game Two. Al Horford had four shots total in 27 minutes. Robert Williams only played 14 minutes, which his health is yet again a topic of discussion in this playoffs. And now it's on the grand stage. And it's very meaningful because if Rob Williams isn't in, that means either Grant is in or Derek White is in. And so you either, you know, you're going very small or you have... You know, you, you got to try to find a way to get Williams going because you can get him going like that game seven of the Miami series 
or it can look like this game two where it's Grant Williams, 20 minutes, two of two. Yeah. And, you know, he, he had one three-point attempt. And so you got to find ways to get him and Horford shots, and so that's going to be getting past that first line of defense, getting a pa- past the point of attack, and getting the Warriors in rotation. The Warriors are pretty good at, you know, Draymond Green is flying around the court. Wiggins is athletic enough. He's flying around the court. And you got to find ways to break down this defense. you got to find a weak point. There is. I do think, like you said, if you're able to move them, I do think there's ways to get that Warriors defense in uh, the best possible matchup scenario to score on them. Whether it be Looney, who, though he has played solid on both ends, uh, you can you can get a mismatch, you yeah. know, with him. Uh, if you get Curry, though he's played solid and moved around and and fl- been flying around on defense, getting involved in in the passing game and whatnot, in the passing lanes, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, there's ways to pull him out and get him in vulnerable situations. Um, so, like you said, if you're able to move that ball around, you can you can find the best scenario to get the best shot each possession. You're talking about two way Steph. <laughs> but no, it, to kind of hit on that a little bit. Steph Curry's defense has improved tremendously. And in that last game especially, he had a lot of deflections. He was playing very, very good defense against some of the smaller guards on Boston. And just doing his job, but doing that alongside of 29 points and 5 of 12 from 3. And when he's not turning the ball over with these careless turns, you have to to force the Warriors into mistakes because if they're not throwing those careless passes, then, you know, it's it's tough to beat them. They're a very solid team top to bottom, and now that they have Gary Payton back, it just makes it that much harder because it's, it's another element that you now have to watch for. Yeah, and they're such a good team uh, just from top to bottom. It's proven in their third quarters. I know we touched on it um, they're, it's a blessing and a curse to have a team that it just has these third quarter snaps because though they've lost a majority of the quarters, they just they just snap in those third quarters mm-hmm. and that's major for them. But it terrifies me as a as a guy who predicted the Warriors to win this series. Uh, you know you can't you can't rely on single quarters each game. You know even the Heat last last series they started snapping in third quarters of the first part of the series as well. Now the series goes over to Boston. Are they able to get that energy boost? I don't know. Yeah, and that is going to be interesting to watch on many levels on Game 3 on Wednesday because, one, how does the Draymond situation play out in Boston? And are the Warriors, if they are relying on this third-quarter run that is just inevitable, I guess, is that enough? Because, you know, while the offense is good enough to hum through the first half to get you, you know, 45, 50 points, does that mean Boston has to be absolutely locked in and they have to be a spectacular offense? It's kind of difficult. You know, the Warriors, like you said, they're very strong top to bottom. They have a lot of good defenders, you know, Pool is a point that you can attack, but if he's on, that makes it a lot harder to answer. If he's if he's coming at you hitting threes, he's coming at you getting to the rim. 
Yeah. Uh, looking at the Warriors' routes to winning now, that is a big one that I have. Not just Jordan Poole, but like I said, just having big games out of one or two individual players. Mm-hmm. Jordan Poole, hopefully, like I said, getting that swagger back. You know, I'm a splash nephew. I'm here. Mm-hmm. I can do my thing, too, alongside Steph. Um, do you have any other sort of routes to winning for, for, for the Warriors here? So, I kind of have, like, an unorthodox one because you don't expect this, but if the Warriors get this, it's so much easier. But, you know, Kavon Looney... Six of six in game two. It's things like that. It's, you know, you're finding those little dump-ins just for a simple dunk. But, it, you know, it's, it's, it's good offense. It's easy offense. And that's what they have to create. If you can find ways to get Looney and Green at least just ten points each. And then Wiggins and Clay are obviously going to give you at least ten. That's making Steph Curry's job that much easier. And so at that point... Only really maybe one, two guys have to pop outside of that, and it doesn't have to be a you know three, four, five guys giving you a lot of points. You can have Steph go for thirty plus, and then just everybody else give you ten, twelve, fifteen. Yeah. And that's you know that's that's the ball movement, and the Warriors are spectacular at that, and Draymond is the head of that. You let him just sit there and read a defense, he's going to tear you apart. You yeah. can't let him get into that facilitating mode where he's sitting at the top of the top of the, you know, top of the three-point line, yeah. just firing rockets all over the course, finding his guys. He just sits there and telegraphs passes, and they still seems like can't do anything about it, which is crazy. He, he always fires the ball in with so much speed, and he's such a smart decision maker that you almost can't allow that. You almost, like you got to find ways to force Green to be a scorer if you're Boston. And then for the Warriors, if you can get Draymond to score 10-plus points, that's opening up his playmaking, and that's yeah. opening up, you know, hopefully Klay Thompson can wake up because he's been asleep in this series offensively. Yeah, Draymond, um, I don't know if this is, an, is a route to winning but or just an X-factor. I think he's the base X-factor for them still. I think... And like you said, if they're able to get easy buckets from him but still not take that many shots, mm-hmm. that will be huge because mm-hmm. you know what he's going to bring defensively mm-hmm. um, and passing the ball. So if you're able to get those easy buckets with him still only shooting five to six shots max, that will be major. Um, but also still staying on Draymond, I still want him to be that force. and I want Draymond to be Draymond until Draymond's enough. You know what I mean? Right. Or Draymond's too much. Be Draymond – and what's kind of funny about that is I notice this every single year. Every team that goes into a series against the Warriors, it's like they discover a new reason to hate Draymond. <laughs> and it's hilarious because this guy's been like this his whole NBA career. He's always been the guy to stir the pot, to get guys going. He, he's going to try to get you inside your own head. And you have to be, you have to be aware of that. Yeah, Draymond... Keep being you. A lot of people are giving you slack, a lot, a lot of flack. Um, no, even even our friends are just like, oh, screw Draymond. Mm-hmm. I hate Draymond. We're, we're, we're from Ohio, so we've got the whole Cleveland Cavalier, Golden State Warrior in our history. So um, I don't know. Draymond, is he's, 
he's a huge part of winning. You look at guys like Dennis Rodman of years past. Mm-hmm. You look just you need those guys. You need them. You need them. They're you, not they're not going to be a superstar in terms of scoring, but it's everything else that they do that's so significant to your team. You love and you love and you love to hate him, I should say. And uh, he's going to run his mouth and he's going to bring that intensity, but I, he's a Golden State Warriors legend and his number is going to be retired whether you like yeah. it or not. It's a classic saying, but you love to play with them, you hate to play against them. But it's so true, and even with Marcus Smart too, that those type of players, and they're, you know, in most cases, the heart and soul of your team. Mm-hmm. When they play with so much passion and so much energy, it, it picks up everybody else when they make a spectacular play. Absolutely. So, as for a personal X factor, though, for me... For Boston, my thing is, you know Tatum is going to give you good production in one way or another, whether it's the game one playmaking, whether it's the game two shot making. The, what you need is your Jalen Brown, Al Horford, but I would say Jalen Brown has to be able to be efficient, create his own shots, and not let the Draymond antics, you know, bother him and get into his head. Like you, you gotta be physical back. You gotta give it back to him. You gotta be able to create your own offense because Jason Tatum can't do it all. And to me, you can't solely rely on Marcus Smart to be your point guard, even though he's improved every single year. But this year, especially, he's been a tremendous playmaker. But Jalen Brown has got to be that guy this series. And for the Warriors, you know. I kind of lean different ways, but, you know, like you said, Clay Thompson's going to wake up for maybe a game, maybe Hopefully. two. We can hope. And I, I do imagine he will. You know, it, it's super hard to imagine that he goes one of eight in another game, but I guess it's very well possible. You know, he he, he didn't play in, what, two years? Yep. You can't rely on Clay Thompson this series, unfortunately. it's It's a sad reality, but... Um, you're just going to take anything you can get from him and still tell him to shoot. You know, shoot or shoot. Yeah. Give him that green light still. Yeah, you can't. Once he starts passing up those shots is when that offense is going to start hitting walls. Yep. And so you still need him to take the shots. But I would say, it almost feels crazy to say, but Wiggins is almost my X factor for the Warriors because obviously you know what you're getting from Curry. You know defensively what you're getting from Draymond and his playmaking. Wiggins has to be able to just be that that off-ball guy that is just always in the right spot, you know, catching the lobs on the fast break. I want to see this guy. It's like when he drives to the rim at times, he doesn't look to just put you on an absolute poster when he has absolutely the athletic ability to do so. Yeah, man. Keep doing – think about all that movement they got and how much focus those guys up top get. Bro, you hit some backdoor cuts on him, Wiggins. You're going to get some easy two-hand dunks at the rim. Yeah, and with all the attention that their off-ball movement gets, it should be able to find ways to open that up. And he's shooting just a little bit over 40% from three in the series, and that's going to be huge because if you can continue finding Wiggins wide open, you already know, like like I've been continuing saying, it's going to open up things for other people if you can get certain guys going. But especially, to me, Wiggins... He has the skill to be able to average 20 points in the series, and I want to see it. You know, he was a number one overall pick. He was almost on the Cavs. And so 
Wiggins is very important for me in this series. I see him being a significant part of the later parts of this series. Yeah, for sure. When when shit starts getting real, yeah. when each possession starts to matter, you're going to want that length and athleticism and, and shot-making ability. Right, right. right. Al- alongside, obviously, your playmakers. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you have any last thoughts about this series, about anything you feel is significant? Uh, I think that generally covers it. I mean, I'm looking forward to Game 3 in terms of what's what changes each team and the officials are going to make. I think uh, just like teams and players make adjustments, I think coach or officials <laughs> after each game are looking at games or, you know, what, what do we do wrong here? What do we need to do next game to control the game this way, make sure it doesn't get out of hand? I think we might get a weirdly officiated game in Game 3. Um, you might. But yeah, alongside uh, players and teams' adjustments, I think I think officiating is still going to be a big thing moving forward mm-hmm. into the series. So, mm-hmm. my final thoughts on the series is: we've now seen two opposite games, pretty much. What can you expect to see after that? Um, it's it's hard to say, but I'm imagining some of the adjustments that. You gotta find, you know, it's easy to say, but you gotta find ways to slow down Steph Curry. But the problem with that is, he can be a very good playmaker, and he he's good at passing out of those traps. And so I don't know if necessarily you wanna just throw a bunch of traps at him, and then now you're making the likes of Draymond Draymond a short roll decision maker, which he can very well do. And if you're, they're breaking down your defense like that and putting you in rotation. You're, you're making your life very hard. Yeah, we're talking about two guys that are very comfortable with the ball at all times. Even Curry getting doubled, he'll just run you around, take your hip, and create find the, the best pass, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's strategically how you, you, you don't – you throw different things throughout the game and throughout the series at him. You can't just stick to one. You can't just stick to something that he yeah. can just get around, you know? Just give, mm-hmm. give him new looks at all times. Yeah. I'm, I'm expecting different looks, you know – Quarter to quarter, almost play to play, but right. you know every game is bound to look a little bit different here, and uh, especially with you know, Ime has been doing a fantastic job this playoffs, uh, especially defensively. He's he's done such a good job of just giving different looks, but like finding what works for his team. And you know when you have the defensive personnel that he does, it gives you like that that. Uh, that, that ability to be able to play these different schemes and put these different guys in different places. You, you know, Derek White can, is no slouch on defense. Grant Williams, I feel like in this series, Grant, on at least the defensive side, is going to be extremely important, especially if Rob Williams continues to have these injury problems. Yeah, and I love Ime Adoka. His ability to hold his players accountable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's clearly so much trust in him within the locker room to just understand what he sees and, uh, and and really just hold his players accountable on both ends of the court. If, you, if you're not playing tough enough, he's going to call you out. Um, if you're not shooting the shots he wants you to take or you're not making the right pass, he's going to – he might pull you. He, he might he might pull you too. So, um, I don't know. I like both locker rooms. I like both teams on both ends, really. So, this is going to be a really fun series uh, the rest of the way. Yeah. The Warriors play with so much swagger and they – they got to continue to do so. Now, 
to end the pod, let's get into some quick predictions. We put these out on Twitter. I have Golden State in seven. Jake has Golden State in six. Do we want to make any changes there? Now that we're being presented with these first two games. I don't think we can, truly. But do you have any uh, buyer's remorse after saying Golden State in seven? You know, it's weird. After game one, I'm like, yeah, I'm in on the idea of in seven. And then game two happened, and I'm like, what they found that worked seems to me at least, you know, that could transfer on to those later games, you know. I had tweeted this out during the series. The interior passing of the Warriors was incredible, and that's what stood out to me. Oh, yeah. The amount of just easy dunks and duck-ins that they could just find. Yep. And so, I, I as for remorse, no. I, I think I'm still sticking with Warriors in seven. Uh, the Celtics are very good at executing their adjustments. They have great personnel. They have fighters. They have shot makers. If they can get back to that ball movement, then this series is going to continue to be as great as it has so far. Yeah, I hope we get closer games now. I hope we uh, the rest of the way we get teams, both teams sort of finding out what works, what doesn't. Um, and I think it will ultimately come down to shot making too. I do think uh, both these teams aren't afraid to throw it up. Uh, and if, it, if the defense gets more physical, um, it might come down to uh, makes and misses. So we'll see. It's a make or miss league. Are you any any thoughts on your in six? You're sticking with it. Any other? I'm st- I'm sticking with it. I think mainly because of uh, Draymond being Draymond and the confidence of of Jordan Poole, hopefully being uh, brought back like like it used to, and then also just Steph becoming and, and earning his first Finals MVP, which is wild, by the way. I mean, it's not considering if you you got if you break it down, the Iggy defense earned him that, and I think Kevin Durant was Kevin Durant. Um, but I think Steph is on a mission right now, and I think he's going to be the most consistent player this series. I think he's going to keep it up, and I think he's playing at a level to get him that Finals MVP that that he's been missing. So I'm going to stick with them in six. I think they're they like you said they found something. Um, yeah, they just have too many guys from top to bottom. I think uh, this is going to be the champion. It's championship number four for those guys. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the, the the Warriors found a lot in that second game, and my questions for the Celtics are outweighing my questions for the Warriors. Good However, point. I still feel like this is going to be an entertaining series. I still feel like it's going to go a long way. With that said. Thank you for listening, and if you like what you heard, you can support us by giving us a five-star review of the show wherever you listen. You can find us on Twitter, at ReconSportsPod, where we will post all updates and information regarding our show. Tell a friend about us. We look forward to coming back to you after the conclusion of the finals to talk the final games, however many there will be. Until then, enjoy the series, and here's to an entertaining war.